0: You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Now, I'm going to warn you, we are going to be bouncing around all over Scripture, so don't start thinking about your Easter dinner yet. We're going to do a little bit of exercise. We're going to be moving all around scripture, but I want us to start in Matthew chapter 28. On Friday, we had our Good Friday service here, and during our time of worship on Good Friday, we talked about four implications of the crucifixion and what that had to do with us and how that was applied to our lives. And so today we're going to see the implication of the resurrection on our lives. What does this have to do with us? But let's start with Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at Matthew's account in his gospel of the resurrection. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you don't own a Bible and would like one, that is our church's gift to you. So feel free to take that uh, home with you. We've got plenty of those. There's more of where they came from. And so the intention is for those Bibles to be sent out uh, with you. So Matthew chapter 28, let's start looking at verse one. And here is what God's word says. After the Sabbath on the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes was white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, "'Don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay.'" Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going to he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. This is a story, I don't like to say story because that almost feels like this is a fairy tale like Mother Goose or Dr. Seuss. This really happened. We have much historical evidence that this happened, but for a lack of a better term, we'll use the, the word story or even narrative. We know this. We know this. We, we could tell this. You could tell this story probably better than I can. But this morning, I want us to take a step back from the narrative, and let's just look at a brief survey, a brief overview of what does this have to do with us? What does this event that took place 2,000 years ago, now here we are in 2019, what does this have to do with us? What does this do for us? So we're going to look at that. So we're going to look at four, on Friday we looked at four implications of the crucifixion. Today we're going to look at four implications of the resurrection. So the first implication that we see in Scripture is that the resurrection of Christ guarantees our regeneration. Turn with me now to 1 Peter 1.3. I told you we're going to be bouncing around a little bit this morning. So turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And here's what Peter said about the resurrection and what that has to do with us. It says, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead.' That word, new birth, in the Christian standard version that we're looking at this morning, that word, new birth, another fancier word for that is regeneration, a brand new start. Many of us like January 1st. Why? Because somewhere in our psyche, we convince ourselves on January 1st that we have a brand new start. Research shows that gym memberships go through the roof on January 1st, right? Right? Because we're all going to get in shape. We're going to get in the best shape of our lives that year. And then two weeks later, we forget, but it's on automatic pay. And so we're just paying a bill and not using anything, right? We love fresh, brand new starts. We like the start of a new school year. You know, we get excited about the first day of school. It's a brand new start. We love fresh, brand new starts. We love fresh, brand new things. Well, here is what the resurrection guarantees. Our fresh, brand new start. A regeneration. A restart. So because of the resurrection of Jesus... God has provided us an opportunity to have a fresh, brand new start to our lives, our spiritual lives. We do not receive all of that new resurrection life. We receive a brand new life, but we don't receive all of that new resurrection because our bodies stay as they are. We are still subject to weakness and sickness, aging and death, but in our spirit, spirits we are made alive we are restarted we are we are regenerated with power you can almost think of it as uh, as in, in like in an emergency room they and someone's had a heart attack so what do they do they get the paddles out and they shock that heart back into rhythm as a fresh brand new start and so the resurrection of Jesus shocks our spiritual hearts and gives us a brand new life It's called regeneration, Paul even wrote in Ephesians 2, that we are raised up with Him. We go from dead to alive spiritually because of the resurrection of Christ. So the resurrection guarantees our regeneration. But second, the resurrection guarantees our justification. So turn over to Romans chapter 4 now. as we continue to look at what does this do for us, the resurrection guarantees our justification. And it says at verse 25 of Romans 4, it says, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, It was God the Father's declaration of approval of Christ's work of redemption. Isn't it amazing that on that Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, and all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, were laid upon him, and God the Father has to turn his face away, he can't even look upon sin because of his holiness, that just three days later the Father now puts His stamp of approval on Christ's work of redemption. By how? By raising Him from the dead. So by raising Christ's work from the dead, God the Father was in effect saying that He approved of Christ's work of suffering and dying for our sins, that His work was completed, and that Jesus no longer needed to remain dead. So God the Father was saying, I approve of what you have done and you have found favor in my sight. Now here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't stop there. Yes, God the Father approves of God the Son's work on the cross and his death and then of his resurrection, but then that approval gets applied to us. So that same approval that God gave Jesus, God the Son, in raising him from the dead, that approval, if we believe and trust in him, is applied to us. To when, when, Jesus, when God looks at us, he looks at us through the lens of the blood of Jesus and declares us righteous. So think of it like this. God the righteous judge is in his courtroom and he looks upon us, not for any good thing that we've done, because we, as we understand the Bible, we're not capable of doing good things, but that God the Father looks upon us, and God the righteous judge looks at what Christ has done for us, and then he drops that gobble and he says, you are righteous. That's justification that's justification. So the Christ's resurrection guarantees our justification. That approval, that declaration of approval of Christ's work of redemption is applied to us. Isn't it amazing that we receive the same approval that Jesus receives from the Father, we can receive that same approval from God the Father. Number three, Christ's resurrection guarantees that we will receive perfect, resurrection bodies as well. Now, when you hear that, that doesn't mean when we receive perfect resurrection bodies as well as Christ. That doesn't mean when we get to heaven, we're all going to be walking around like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever else. What does it mean that Christ's resurrection guarantees that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies as well? Turn over to 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 15. I would encourage you to even write some of these references down, go back and look at them later. But Christ's resurrection, it guarantees ours. Here's what Paul says. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the the dead also comes from a man. For just as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits afterwards at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put on under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. So Christ's resurrection guarantees that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies as well. Because here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, in calling Jesus the first fruits, Paul is using a metaphor from agriculture to explain that we will be like Christ. So when Paul talks about the first fruits here in 1 Corinthians 15, just as the first fruits or the first taste of a ripening crop show what the rest of the harvest will be like for that crop. So if you are growing corn and that corn has ripened and grown and you taste that first corn, that is the first fruits. So that ripening crop show what the rest of the harvest will be like for that crop. So if that first crop that comes through and it tastes good that would we would assume then that the rest of that crop would taste good so Christ as the first fruits fruits shows what our resurrection bodies will be like so when Jesus was resurrected that was that first fruit and that is a Picture of what we will be like when in God's final harvest he raises us from the dead and he brings us into his presence. So by, his, by the resurrection of Jesus, we are guaranteed that we will receive perfect resurrection of bodies as well, just as he did. So Jesus is the first fruits. We are the rest of that harvest that will be brought into his presence. And then finally, Christ's resurrection guarantees our hope. If there is nothing more that we desire in life, it is hope. We like hope. We like the idea of maybe brighter horizons and better things to come or that our sports team maybe is going to make a comeback. We like hope, but Christ's resurrection guarantees our hope. But here's the problem. We have, we as humans, we have the tendency to place our hope in all kinds of other things we have the tendency to place our hope in our finances. We have a tendency to place our hope in our family. We have the tendency to place our hope in relationships. We have a tendency to place hope in in any number of hundreds of things that we could start a list for. And what all that guarantees is that our hope will be lost, that we will be disappointed So Christ's resurrection guarantees a hope that will not disappoint. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. We're in this. So go up to verse 12. So what is this hope that we walk away with from the resurrection of Christ? Look at verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God. Because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. anyone. So what's Paul doing here in this writing under, under the inspiration of God? Paul is making a rational argument here. He's saying, if you do not believe in the resurrection of Christ... And if the resurrection of Christ did not happen, you are wasting your time. He says, verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So if Christ had not been raised, we are wasting our time right now. There are so many other things we could be doing, it's a waste, it's worthless. But as we see from Scripture, Christ was raised. And we do have hope. We do have hope that when we die that we will be in His presence. We have hope that those that we've loved and have gone before us that we will see them again. We do have hope that we have have a relationship with God. We do have hope that our sins are forgiven. We do have hope that we are in a right relationship with God because if God can raise Christ, a dead person, if he can be raised from the dead, surely he can raise us from the dead spiritually. And so Christ's resurrection guarantees our hope. And if there's one thought that I can leave with all of us as brothers and sisters, if there is one thought that I can leave with us this morning is that Christ's resurrection guarantees our hope that life does have meaning life does have purpose and you say adam what is that purpose in my life even if we've lost everything what is that purpose that hope in my life that is that purpose is to tell other people about this because we live in a world that is grasping at everything else for hope but we have a hope that is guaranteed so let's glory in the resurrection of Christ, and let's run to the resurrection of Christ, and let's live out the resurrection of Christ in our lives. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that your resurrection is not just some really cool story, but that it really happened we thank you that it actually has meaning in our lives today. We thank you that your resurrection guarantees our regeneration, that you guarantee our justification through your resurrection. We thank you, Jesus, that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies just as you have. And Jesus, thank you for the hope that your resurrection gives Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that does not have that hope, that they're looking for that hope desperately, I pray that you would cause them to feel that desperation and that that desperation would lead to you, that you would call them to yourself, that they would believe in your death and resurrection to the point where it would change their lives as you've changed ours. Father, I pray for those of us who are your followers that we've believed in your death and resurrection. Thank you for changing our lives through this reality. We thank you for the hope that we have. I pray that you would motivate us to share that hope with someone else. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leawood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.